to season two and episode 18 of the Legends Podcast. I am one half of the Legends Podcast, Ari Levy. And I am the other half, Sam Manheimer. We are recording this episode live in person from the Legends Podcast HQ, aka my apartment. Feels great to be back in action together. It's been a minute since we've done this. I think we recorded our first episode together, and then ever since we've just been remote. Yeah, the first episode we ever did, we recorded in person. That was the day the election was called. So what was that, like November? What day was that, like November 17th or something? I don't even know. Yeah, I can't recall. Sometime in early November, the day the election was called. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Anyways... Yeah, so it's been a minute. We both were on the road. Sam was in Florida and I was in Hawaii. Sam, what did you think of Florida? It's like a theme park where COVID doesn't exist. Yes. You walk into a store and people aren't wearing masks and it's just like the virus has never happened, which honestly, I think I've heard other people say this. It's sort of refreshing in a way. Obviously yeah. not great that they're not taking it seriously, but at the same time as someone who is taking it seriously, kind of nice to step out of the real world and into a fantasy land where yeah. it's not like this. But yeah, but the weather's good in Florida and like you don't have to go to a crowded bar if you don't want to. Like yeah. you could go lay out on the beach not around people and you could go get dinner and sit outside. No, absolutely. And that's what we did for the most yeah. part. Like we didn't really stray outside of our comfort zone, but you could just tell a lot of other people just didn't care about it. But as long as you're kind of doing your own thing, you're keeping yourself safe, yeah. that's good for you. Florida Florida's a pretty interesting place. It's a, um, it's kind of a combination of old Jews and young Christians. Yeah. Where we were in, in Fort Myers, not as many Jewish people, but still, yeah, a lot of, a lot of elderly folks, yeah. older folks, good food, lots of golf courses. Saw an alligator. Did see an alligator. Yeah, we drove or we rode bikes around Sanibel, which is nice. Lots of good scenery. Again, nice weather. Got horribly sunburnt, as is tradition. Mm-hmm. But had to get that one out of the way, so now I can just get bronze for the rest of the spring slash For summer. sure. Yeah, I got some bronzer when I was in Hawaii. Nice. Yeah, and talk about that, Ari. Yeah, so Hawaii is amazing. Our good friend Mark Shark Yellen hosted me in Honolulu. Um, really, really kind of him. Uh, Hawaii travel restrictions are pretty tight. I had to get a COVID test before I went 72 hours before, submit a QR code, or there's like a Safe Travels Hawaii website, and I had to submit a QR code, submit a test to get a QR code that they basically scan when you get in. They're really strict on it, but it was great. I was in Oahu, and then I went to Kauai. I got my advanced scuba scuba diving lesson, so I could go down 100 feet now. I think it's actually 120, but you're not supposed to. They say go 100, but you could go 120. Saw a ton of turtles, sharks. Um, I did have a really shitty event happen to me, though. So Kauai, the other island I was going to, their, like, travel restrictions are, like, different than the rest of Hawaii. And if you come from the U.S. mainland directly to Kauai, you have to quarantine for 10 days. Or you get another, you could go to another island first, which is what I did, and get a COVID test, and then you could go. A lot of people on my plane were in the same boat, but it did not specify that you needed to be in the other island for 72 hours. So when I got to Kauai, they're like, you took your test early. And it sucked because I took my test on like hour 58. So it was really close. And they're like, yeah, we can't let you in. You could go back to Oahu, take a COVID test, and then come back. And it was just really shitty. 
which I ended up doing that and it cost me like round trip between the flights and the COVID test was like an extra like 350, which kind of like dampered the trip a little, but worked past it. Mark was a legend. He picked me back up from the Oahu airport. Um, I got the COVID test. There were also a bunch of people on the plane who were in the same situation as me and we were all kind of just chilling in the airport, bitching about it. At the end of the day, it was our fault because it did say that on the website, but it's just dumb because I submitted the test that I took to the website and it said it was fine and sent me a QR code when in reality, like it should have been like, this is not an approved test. You weren't in Oahu for 72 hours, but went to the Nepali coast. It was absolutely beautiful. It was stunning. It was camping on the beach, dolphins, whales, sharks, turtles. There's every sea life, every like sea animals out to play. That's awesome. And you had your phone on you, and you were able to put it in the water. Get yeah, some cool shots. so, yeah, fun fact, uh, the iPhone works in water, and it honestly worked better than a GoPro. The captain of the boat I was on was telling me about it. I, like, wouldn't stick my phone in the water forever, but I, you know, I put it in for a little, and then I rinsed it off with fresh water when I got out. There was a mama and a calf humpback whale that came right by the boat and i stuck my phone in i got a really good shot of the whale so it was amazing yeah fun fact about me i went to Kauai when i was probably in the ninth grade and i had a phone that was not waterproof and i went swimming with it and it broke really yeah one of like the 50 phones that i broke when i was a teenager i was yeah i have some friends who like would go through like a few phones a year. I'm not, I'm pretty good about my phone. I've been great ever since I got an iPhone, one that yeah. actually matters, but I used to just have like the crappiest phones and I just put them in the washing machine, dropped them, went swimming with them, just like you name it, I did it. Yeah, but the phone back in the day was like so much different because the text messaging sucked because you had like the the three key mm-hmm. uh, thing where it was like ABC on a key and you had to go through. So like you weren't texting as much and like you couldn't do everything on your phone. You just like were pretty much using it to call and text. So you looked at it way less and you yeah. just like cared about it way less. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I would yeah. like have hours where I wouldn't know where my phone was. I probably couldn't go three minutes now without. Yeah. You have to know where your iPhone is. Otherwise it's crippling anxiety. Yeah. It's like a part of your brain that's missing if you don't have it. On For you. sure. But iPhone 12 works in water. Just if you're using salt water, rinse it off after. But it, it, it was it worked fine. It got some great shots. You saw the video. The whales were out to play. Shout out to our sponsor, Apple. Yes. So a lot has happened since we last put out an episode. I think our last episode drop was in mid-March. So some of the things that have taken place between now and then, NCAA tournament, big one. Big for Ari. I know you won some money on Baylor. Yeah, I was really surprised. I was in a pool with like 12, 14 other people, and I was the only one that picked Baylor in the pool. So when I saw that once the brackets locked, I was pretty excited. I called that on our show that I thought they were going to win the national title, and they won divisive, or, uh, decisively. And, yeah, they dominated from start to finish. Um, I was really confident in Loyola, Chicago. They also won. I was very confident in USC as well, but they, they did fall a little short. But – they still had a great tournament. Yeah, you did. You did actually have a pretty nice tournament in terms of picking the teams. Because I, I mean, we we keep the receipts on the Legends podcast. You yeah. did say that U of I was going to lose to Loyola. That did happen. Yeah. Baylor going pretty deep was something you had called out too. So respect. Yeah, and my dad. Well, I also said that 
I just like didn't think Gonzaga was gonna go undefeated because they hadn't gotten the loss out of their system yet. And like by the end of that day, the last game, like they had the amazing win in the Final Four against UCLA, but like they were a little gassed, and like Baylor took advantage of it, and like they they let up a ton of offensive rebounds. They made a run right before the end of the first half, but they never really were able to to get it to like a one or two score game ever. So yeah. I mean, credit where credit's due with yeah. Gonzaga, though. I mean, they did get undefeated to the championship game, which is quite the accomplishment. And that game against UCLA was probably the best college basketball game I've seen in yeah. the last incredible, five, Incredible years. shot from Suggs. Oh, and unreal. Like, that's the moment that I'll remember from the tournament. I mean, obviously, they came up a little bit short in the championship game, but, like, those types of moments live forever, kind of like the Chris Jenkins shot. I mean, it's not yeah. quite at that level. But yeah. I was logging onto Zooms the next day for work, and like every coworker I had was talking about it. Yeah, like, that was a universally yeah. crazy. The moment. NCAA tournament is must must watch TV yeah. every year. Um, but what I was gonna say earlier was about Illinois. Like, you know, my dad and my mom went to Illinois. My dad was like, you know, convinced that they were gonna win it all. And I was just like, I don't know. I was like, I mean, this Illinois team is good, but like, I thought they were like really ahead of themselves. Like, Desumo was taking the Kobe Bryant photo after the Big Ten Championship, which, like, it's cool to win a conference championship, but, like, they kind of got worked by Loyola Chicago. I just saw it. I just saw it coming. I was like, if anyone's going to beat them, it's just going to be the other team from Illinois that's a way smaller school. Yeah. No, they, Loyola had that in-state factor going yeah. for it, for sure. Like, I'm and sure all Sister those, Jean. And Sister Jean. Yeah, they had, the, they had God on their side. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of hard to overcome that. Yeah, but then they did lose to Oregon State, who I thought they should have beat. Like, they yeah. were a better team. They just, Oregon State was, got really hot. Yeah, Oregon State was good. But yeah, Crutwig on Loyola might be my favorite player from that tournament. He yeah. was something fun to watch. We'll see where his career goes. My dad thinks he could play in the NBA. He, no, he's like, he's like he does everything right. Tell me why not. And I was like, you're not wrong. And he's a seven-footer. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with him. If not the NBA, he'll for sure be able to play overseas. For sure. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of talent to him. And if he goes to the right system, he could definitely be a productive player. Not the athlete that you would expect from a, a, a five in the NBA these days, but he can make good decisions. So yeah. he'll have some career ahead of him. Yeah, we're both fully vaccinated now. Yeah, we are. Pfizer gang. Double vaxxed up. We're fist bumping yeah. over here in person. Feels good. Been a little bit of a time since we've been able to feel normal. I'm yeah. not saying that we're normal yet, but... I'm just going to care way less now. Yeah, it's just less stressful, I think, is kind of the, the biggest upside to it. Like, the other day we were meeting up and under normal circumstances, I would have been asking like, Oh, like is the seating indoors or outdoors? Now yeah. it's just like, I'm just going to show up. We sat, we sat indoors cause that was the only option, but also like broken barrels. Like it was like a big indoor, like yeah. it, it was, it was well ventilated, but at this point it's like, I'll eat inside. Like, yeah, my family's fully vaccinated. And like in the end of the day, like I don't want to get them sick. No, for sure. I mean, that's still the, the biggest concern I think as, a vaccinated person yeah because like you yourself can still carry the virus you don't want to be putting others at risk so still going to be pretty cautious and whatnot but it's just nice to not have to be as concerned but you and i both were running into people randomly yeah, at the bar that yeah. was something that i hadn't had experience yeah in like a year that's, some, up. that's something i missed too and like we were we started kind of making a competition out of it because like we had both run into two people and then i was like all right like Who's going to win tonight? And then I think we both tied at three. Yeah, it was a draw. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to my guy, Jeff. Shout out my guy, Yoshi. 
I don't think either of them listened to the pod. Although Jeff did say that he had seen the pod advertised on Instagram. He just had chosen not to listen. So, Jeff, if this is your first episode, welcome to the pod. Yeah, buddy. and then I saw Joey Lopshare. We worked on uh, some projects together in college, and he said he had listened to the pod. Hell yeah. And uh, he had listened to our episode with Jose, which is one of our better episodes, yeah. I think. Um, also, speaking of award-winning listeners, me and uh, Jeremy Pador are at the gym and we're in the sauna and we start talking to this other guy in the sauna and just guy he, talk yeah just you know just locker room talk <laughs> <laughs> and he said he had graduated from indiana in 2020 i was like oh like we went there too where are you from he's like bloomington i was like oh like what high school do you go to he's like north and jeremy goes hey didn't linda's grandson go to north and he goes you mean nana and it turns out his name is holden he is best friends with Linda's grandson, lives with him now, they work together, and he had actually listened to the podcast with Linda, and he liked it, so that was like my first experience, like running into someone I didn't know who had listened to the podcast, so that was that was pretty cool for, for that to happen. For sure, the Legends podcast sphere of influence is uh, slowly growing. Yeah, and also that goes to say, like, most people have, like, said they liked what we put out, like... We're always open to constructive criticism. If anyone has like anything they want to add or think we could be doing better, but for the most part, people said they like what we're putting out. Yeah, no, definitely nice to kind of get that positive feedback. Yeah, and just good to run into people in public who yeah are, are happy about yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, it's gonna be a horny summer. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a relationship, but can't wait to get secondhand yeah. from watching, <laughs> watching others. So uh, another big headline was Mike Woodson, the new coach at Indiana. I thought that was like probably like four years overdue. I, I mean, Archie had only been there for four years. I know, but I'm saying like I thought it was the higher they like probably should have like, because they were talking about it like four years ago, and then I don't know. I just thought it was a little late, but he's pretty much retained the entire roster, yeah. which is big because they have talent on that team. They just like were not a good in-game team because they weren't coached well. No, that's 100 percent fact, and. I mean, going back four years when we hired Archie, that was kind of a universally accepted decision. I don't think anyone was really criticizing it at the time. But in retrospect, yeah, it clearly didn't work out. But this is a hire that, I mean, no matter which direction it goes, I think the culture is heading in a good direction. Retained all the players with the exception of Armand Franklin. Who who was probably going to leave anyway. Yeah, but I mean, we got Trace Jackson Davis back, which is massive. Kept Christian Lander, kept Race Thompson. So, I mean, the boys are back. Hopefully Woodson's system is going to fit the talent that we have available to us but I mean he's coached a lot of really impressive players at the pro level like he's coached Carmelo Anthony he's coached Joe Johnson he had the highest Josh Smith (laughs) yeah legend Josh Smith but I mean when he was on the Knicks I think they had the highest three-point shooting percentage in like 2014 or something like that yeah so he's definitely got some good scheme to his system and he brought in some really impressive assistant coaches too yeah I'm not I'm also not trying to you know knack on Archie Miller he definitely deserved to get fired but like you see it so much in college where, like, a coach from, like, a smaller D1 program gets hot in the tournament, which is mm-hmm. what happened, and then they get a bigger school job. And, like, they – I mean, some of them end up doing well, and then some of them fade out. I mean, like, Dayton got hot in the tournament. Indiana brought him in. Mike Woodson's different. He's coached at the NBA level. He also went to Indiana. Mm-hmm. He was a player. I believe he won a natty he when, when, yep. he was, when he was there. He is a legend. And he also played in the NBA, so I think it's it's going to be a little different. 
when he goes to recruit. For sure. And what yeah. honestly has impressed me the most about the hiring, despite bringing back all the players, which I think was critical to have short-term success, is he brought in Thad Mata, who is the former coach of Ohio yeah. State, who's recruited some really, really impressive players, like recruited Greg Oden. Mike Conley. Mike Conley. Yeah, he's got some stars um, under his belt at Ohio State. He's in the program now. You'd like to think that he would be able to recruit from anywhere in the country. We brought in Dane Fife, who is an assistant coach at Michigan State. He's been there. He was there for, I think, a decade or so. He was actually in conversations for being the head coach at IU, which you never really see a, a guy who was in the conversation to be the head coach actually come in as an assistant. And then we also have Larry Brown, legendary head coach, coming in as like a consultant of some sort. I don't know exactly yeah. what his role is, but just the sheer basketball IQ in the IU brain trust right now is pretty impressive. Yeah. And I mean, even if it, if it doesn't work, like God forbid it at least makes sense. Yeah. You know, like I, I like the direction that's going, I don't think it's going to go poorly and maybe I'll be wrong, but I like, he's, I like he's, he's off, he's off to a good start right now. The two things we need to see now is like winning good and state recruits. Mm-hmm. They got to be getting like a couple top 50 guys if they yeah. can get their hands on them. And then just winning basketball games for sure. I think and that, a, an NCAA tournament appearance. But like that's we, a but was like a program like Indiana, like the expectation is at least NCAA tournament every year. That that yeah. is the expectation. And it's not an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. And a lot of people in the national media like to make IU out to be this school that has this super lofty goal in mind of always winning a championship or thinking you should be competing for one. That's not the case. Like I don't expect to be in the final four this year, but it would be fun to see us in the second weekend. Like, yeah. That's a start. Well, the, the great thing about college basketball though, is like, and we, we witness it every year. Like once you're in the tournament, literally anything could happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could be often, a playing team like UCLA. And yeah. UCLA. And they went to the final four. And yeah. like, once you're in the tournament, it's like kind of all bets are off and like UCLA going to the final four. And that's, that's another school that has that hasn't really been that great the past couple of years, oh, but an cool. extremely rich basketball history. It's definitely a basketball school, and like them going to the Final Four will definitely help immensely in recruiting. So yeah. Indiana's got to get back in the tournament, even if it yeah. not it doesn't need to be as a one seed. It, you know, get in. I mean, like that would be great, but like <laughs> get an eight seed. I was gonna say like get it as like an eight or nine seed and like roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah. So what I think Crean did really well. And where he didn't do well was he developed players, but he didn't recruit all that great. Like our best player, I mean, Zeller was a five-star, I think, but Vic Oladipo no, no, was a three-star. I, I disagree. I think Crean was a great recruiter. Not in state, though. Not we lost, not, we not in state. There was, state. there was a lot of in state. But what he was really good at doing was getting, you know, those three stars. Yeah, and so like, Yeah, and, and then really developing them. Exactly. But he also was a bad in-game coach. Like, yeah. like the decision-making and the X's and O's. But, I mean, he has had no problem landing recruits throughout the entirety of his career. I mean, he went to Georgia and got Anthony Edwards to go there. Yeah. And he's just the number one pick in the NBA draft. That's true. I mean, he developed Oladipo, who wasn't a high recruit. Dwayne Wade wasn't that much of a high recruit. Um, OG Ananobi wasn't that much of a high recruit. That's, that's more yeah. what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, he got all these guys who were kind of under the radar, like yeah. high potential, but like low floor guys, and he turned them into first. Yeah. Well, he turned them into lottery picks. Yeah. What Archie did, though, was he got a lot of in state talent. Like, he got Trace Jackson Davis, he got Christian Lander. And he but, got I mean, uh, Romeo Langford. And Romeo Langford, yeah. So, like, he gets all these guys, but like, I love Trace Jackson Davis. Like, he does not have a right hand. And yeah. that's the thing that Mike Woodson came in in day one, like, before he even decided to come back to school for his uh, junior year, Winston said, like, 
you need to develop this. I don't think he ever got that direction from Archie. I don't think Archie like really made anybody better after they got on campus, really, yeah. like aside from obviously natural progression. So I'm really hopeful that Woodson and the guys that he has on his staff are going to be able to keep like getting these guys better and just like focusing on their weaknesses and getting better at it. Yeah. I think if we're able to kind of narrow in on what these guys aren't doing and turn it into a strength, then yeah. we'll be a good team because we have talented players. Yeah. And it, it has been a while since Indiana has landed like a top, top recruit. You could say that was Romeo Lankford, which like it, it was, was coming out, it was. but I thought he severely underperformed when he, was, he, he was when, when he was at Indiana, and he he did get drafted like I think was it one pick out of the lottery or last pick yeah, in the lottery, something like, like that, right for there. like mid first round pick. But like he was mostly drafted based on the potential, and like he's also severely underperformed in the NBA. He started to play a little bit better as of late, yeah. but he was he was hurt for a lot of this year. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play any defense, and he just like no was like. Played a lot of one-on-one when he was in Indiana, but... It was tough to watch. IU basketball's back. We're all the way back. I've been watching some spring spring football a little. Like Old Jackson the, State? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but i also just been seeing the highlights on, like, Twitter from, like, Indiana uh, the football, the workout. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Or they do, like, the the cream and crimson mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. scrimmage. Yeah. So... That's exciting. I mean, yeah. we'll be we'll be a top. I mean, I think we're preseason top ten yeah, right C- around there. Cincinnati. Yeah. They're playing, which will be a good one. Um, one of my sister's really good friends, her bro- his brother, uh, Weaver, offensive lineman. At IU. They said they might be able to get us tickets. That'd be huge for yeah. us. Can't wait to go. Yeah. Can we get on the field passes? I don't know about that, but I, I think I might be able to get us tickets. Okay, I'll settle for one. Yeah, so I'm excited for Indiana football. That should be that should be really interesting. It's 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 gonna be cool going into a season now where the expectation is high, which kind of scares me. Terrifying. Yeah. But I love it. I'd, yeah. I'd much rather be in this position than just yeah. like not paying attention to yeah. half the season because we're two and five. Or yeah. Something. Exactly. Yeah. A lot on the horizon for us. Also on the horizon, having to go back out in the real world and have real world conversations after just living in social media bubbles for the past year. Uh, we had a little bit of this this past weekend where we were out with friends and I made a very inside the NBA joke and nobody got it. And I had to remind myself that I'm not just like tweeting into the NBA Twitter verse where everyone I'm tweeting at is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're going to have to get back to reality a little bit, but I'm excited to translate all of the things that I've obsessed over into conversations that people will ignore. Yeah. People have just been, Scroll on Twitter and Instagram and living at home. I'm excited to just like get out there and and meet people again. I can't wait to hear about people's hobbies. Yeah. Like I hope somebody I know just has become like a chemist or something and they can just describe all of their cool experiments. Yeah. Hamilton Morris. Is that a chemist? Yeah, he's he's uh, I don't know, I just thought of that. But he uh um he has his own show on Vice, it's on Hulu, it's called Hamilton's Pharmacopia, and he basically talks about every drug and he goes to people that make it he goes to people that take it it's mostly like different hallucinogens but uh he's a chemist so he like understands like what happens when you take it and like how it affects your brain but he's a cool chemist very cool yeah hopefully i meet lots of people like that now. i guess i could say like in quarantine i picked up the the hobby of podcasting which which is good i wish i like did something that was like like 
I'm not gonna say knitting, but like knitting. Construct- like like yeah, like constructive. I think I think this is roughly constructive. It is constructive. But yeah, I mean realistically, we've had fun doing it. What have I done during quarantine? I watched The Sopranos. Yeah. Read a couple books. Watched a lot of movies. Yeah. But yeah, didn't really pick up any like hobby where I where I made something physical. Like yeah. I wish I like made a table and stained it. Yeah. I think a podcast. Is was a nice fi- I was fishing a lot, but the fishing in Illinois sucks. Yeah. Comparative to like Wisconsin and other parts of the country, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully when we get back out in the real world, we'll meet all these cool people that have had all these great experiences during quarantine. Yeah. Done something constructive and we can live vicariously yeah. through that. I'm also excited to travel again. I've been traveling, but like. Internationally. Yeah. International travel and just like not like going places and like, just like not having to worry about For like sure. the COVID as much. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's going to be a little while until we can travel internationally because I mean, as things in the States aren't it depends great where, yet, though. but they're getting better. Europe is still in just like the throes of COVID. Yeah. And anywhere else that's like taking, get, taking guests or tourists, like they're probably not doing well either, yeah. but they're at least letting people in because they rely on tourism. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are going to be the first places that we can go to, but I'm not trying to go to as many, like, tourist traps. I'm trying to do some, like, city exploring and stuff. Yeah, I would love to do some city exploring, but, like, you know, I think one of the best things you could do for COVID travel is, like, go to a national park yeah, or something. That's true. Just because, like, you could be outside. Yeah, and we, have, we did both do yeah. that. Yeah, that was probably actually one of the other cool things about quarantine that I think people probably will be able to take away from it. It's like you go places that you wouldn't have otherwise gone to. Like I went to the Smoky Mountains, which was really fun. Probably wouldn't have gone there really outside of COVID. Yeah. Went to Oregon, which like I would have liked to have thought that I would have done at some point or another, but like it just made sense in the moment. So I think, yeah, people probably had a lot of those types of experiences. Yeah, I was able, um, when I was in Arizona, I went up to uh, Zion Park, which was amazing, highly recommend it. And then I went to Hawaii, which Hawaii though, like like I mentioned earlier, you had to get the, um, a COVID test before you go and they were pretty strict. So like the cases were really low there and like you still had to wear a mask when you went out, but like Things were open and it like yeah. felt kind of normal. Yeah, and like by no means are we saying that oh, COVID's done with. COVID's but done. <laughs> but at least what we can say is that like with all of the vaccines coming out, like we can exercise caution and be mm-hmm. able to do more stuff. And I think we're both pretty excited to be mm-hmm. able to do that. So, fingers crossed it uh, ends officially in the short yeah. run. Our our guest today, you all know him as Persian Drizzy, Josh Yazdian. Yaz Apparel, Retro Windbakers. We go through and talk about his kind of career of building a business and making connections and, and really just putting out fashion. Um, I'm not going to lie, the audio is, is a little off on this one. He was actually our first guest ever to try and make a meal while, while we were doing an interview. So we had to stop him there. You'll hear that. Uh, he's eating a little, but I mean, he's a big boy. He, he eats a lot. He was Chef Curry with it during the podcast. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. I mean, you got to gotta eat big, got to stay big. Yeah. So shout out to Yaz. I, I do think it was a really great interview, though. Yeah. A lot of... Valuable information. Yeah. I mean, it was our first kind of fashion uh, guest, and that's something that I'm into, so it's fun to kind of hear the yeah. creative side of that. Su- yeah. Super interesting guy. Very valuable information. Just try to make pancakes in the middle of the interview. Yeah. He was, he was noshing, but nothing wrong with a little noshing. Nothing wrong with noshing. Just joshing, with, joshing and noshing with Josh Yaz. It's coming up right around the corner, and we'll uh, take you there right now. Yep. Without further ado, 
Josh Yazdian. All right, we now welcome on, and I know we say this a lot, but this one is for real, like a very special guest. Um, we've been trying to get this interview for a while. Um, we had it scheduled and we had to cancel it for reasons out of our control. And then we've been working it through, but now we got him in the flesh, live, Persian Drizzy, jump man, as I like to call him. Josh Yazdian, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. What's poppin'? Brand new week just hopped in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not much. Just got home from work. Just, you know, chilling. It's not snowing. So, yeah, I'm, well, I'm doing well. Wait, wait, wait to rub it in. Yeah, I know. I know. We're recording this the week that the entire country is under a winter weather advisory, and Josh is in one of probably like the four states in the entire nation that's not. Where is it? Outside right now. Sunny. Overview. Can't see. It's probably about what 65 and sunny where you're at in San Diego. You, you need sun your windows, but yeah. uh, whatever. With, with a nice breeze at night. <laughs> That's just All right. Bad. So for for the viewers out there that don't know, uh, Josh, you're you're a pretty interesting guy. You've had your fair share of your own businesses as well as working for your parents. So why don't you like tell the viewers a little bit about who you are, where you're from? Yeah. All right. So. Uh, Joshua Naftali Yazdian. So I was raised in a very, not too religious, but religious Jewish family in Nashville, Tennessee. And before I went off to college, before I met these two fools, uh, I moved to Israel to study uh, abroad. And uh, then when I was living over there, I started to, you know, like fashion and when I got to college next year, that's what I changed my major for the third time to be is to study fashion. And that's when I really started uh, my clothing line, Yaz Apparel. But the main reason why I started it was in the fraternity house when I met both of y'all. Uh, I remember I got in trouble one weekend and uh, I, I was at like one party and Barrett, he hands me a handle, and of course you can't drink when you're a pledge. So I just uh, I got in trouble, and they took my Instagram. And they said, "You want the Instagram or the house?" And I was like, "I want to be in this house." So the, I I didn't have the Instagram for like two months because Zach was on it, Friedenberg. And uh, the funniest part about him having my Instagram was. He posted a picture of two pilgrims on Thanksgiving, which was the salt and pepper shaker fucking. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And when I was in the house, since I didn't have my Instagram, I started Yaz Apparel, that Instagram. So from there, I started kind of just sharing my love for fashion with, like, the house. And that's when I really started selling a lot of clothes, whether it was, like, in the Greek life or to the house and then i started doing like more online when i started you know traveling a little bit going to california going to other cities to like sell i started an online shop but uh when i left college i just like lost my passion for fashion for a little bit and then started working for my dad in nashville and uh when i was in nashville i worked for 
you guys know Electronic Express, right? Oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get oh, yeah. to Electronic oh, Express. To, Electronic yeah. Express, we make it happen. Make it happen. So yeah, I was working with my dad for like two years, two and a half. It was a fun time. It was just like always seeing family, always like eating good food, and, like things like that. But working with family is good, but it's also like how long can you do it till they make you go crazy? And uh, so I did that for a while, was loving making commercials for a minute. And then uh, when I went back to school, I like started selling vintage jackets again. And that's like one of my main things right now is just like selling that shit. Uh, so I started selling vintage in like my, my second round of school. And then after that, I moved to Chicago for like three months. And and then I moved I back to Nashville. Saying. Yeah, I worked for PHMG for like two months. And then uh, I went back to Nashville during the quarantine and moved all my stuff out of, San, of uh, Chicago to move to San Diego within like a week of being in Chicago in May. And then I've been out here since. So... That's where I'm at right now is Diego. Fuego Diego, as they call it. And so in San Diego, you're working for your uncle's company right now, or are you self-employed? I, I, I was helping them out for a while. Um, now I'm trying to do some of um, like my own stuff, trying to you know, do my own business on the side and kind of just make a name for myself out here, kind of you know, network out here, go to oh, L.A. a bunch. So when you were talking about the retro jackets, I know in San Diego you had a pop-up shop for a little, um, and you you and me were talking, and you said it went really well. You want to like kind of tell everyone like kind of how that went down and like how you were able to get a space and 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 yeah. So uh, the website's retrowindbreakers.com, and at first I was going by Josh Yaz at first, and then over Thanksgiving I kind of switched the name up. And I started selling more online that way. And um, I was working with my uncle, and he had this other space that he wasn't using for, like, a week or two. So I told him if I could work in that space, try to sell some of his stuff, I could just work in his space, and I would pay him for it. Um, So I just got a space pretty easy. I'm looking for another one, but the pop-up shop, I did what I did in um, three months within one night, uh, like from my online to in-person sales. I did all that like three months in one night. So I was like, oh, pop-up's pretty cool. You know, people always gravitate towards kind of vibrant colors and vintage, even sports teams. And at the time I had over 600 different sports team jackets now i'm down to like 340 you know but like there's so many jackets that i bought and i was like i had a hard time selling because i was like i'm attached to this product you know when you like have sports memorabilia it's like oh it's cool now for these jackets i'm like oh my god these are like my favorite designs or teams or things like that so it's like Selling sometimes is like draining, you know, it's like I'm draining the three. My name is Steph Curry. But when you're selling some shit, 
that you truly love, you're just like, man, seeing an Oilers starter, you know, go, you're like, oh my God, that hurt. So it's fun, but it's also like, damn, do I, I want to be the collector forever, you know? Well, you know, you know what they say, don't get high on your own supply. I know, bro. I got to have someone sell this shit for me. But the thing is, I could sell it. I could sell it to someone that doesn't need it. You yeah, know, well, it's like four or five jackets, and you're like, "What the fuck? Why do I need all well, these?" But I know you, you were telling me, like, especially like you, your pop up shop was in La Jolla, which is like most people know, like it's a pretty well off area. And you were like, "Bro, you're like people in California just like like things that are expensive, and they like knowing it's expensive, and like they wear the jacket, like you know, the the Supersonics jacket, yeah. and they're like, this was two hundred fifty bucks. Like, I love it." Yeah, and when you say you love it, I got you. Yeah. You know, but if you ask for a team and I have it, like I pretty much had, I had every NFL team at one point. I had every MLB team except the Astros, which is like so hard to find. But I could have got one, you know. But I had. You don't want that single, out there, though. I know, but I had like every single team, you know. NBA, I was like fifteen to twenty teams. Like NHL, I had like. 14 teams so like i'm trying to get a variety of every single team so everyone has options you know and like to make money you gotta sell in volume so like i gotta sell a lot to make my money and like making your money back in fashions like if you can make your money back hoorah let's go you know but like if you're not breaking even like when i was working as apparel it's hard making your money when you're throwing out a bunch of t-shirts at fraternity and sorority parties to watch girls wear it, but they do great marketing. You know, there's always a give and take when it comes to business. It's like, do you want to spend the marketing online or do you want to have walking billboards of college girls walking around with your shit on? So there's always, you remember the, my favorite party ever. There's a couple that we threw. There was one where everyone wore the, the white tank tops with the flag on it. You were wearing it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and a there was a there was a paint party, white party. Everybody was wearing like one of my t-shirts. I sold like fifty t-shirts for like five bucks that night, and like everybody. And I had a photo shoot. College was stupid, bro. Like everything was so much easier. Now you're like in the real world. You're like, wow, I really have to drive like fifteen, twenty miles to go sell some shit. Versus like, oh, I could get 40 people down the stairs in their kitchen to come buy shit and just put it right back in my back and put it in my car and leave. Like, it's a lot harder these days to make money versus like college, dude. It's crazy. So going back to kind of the origin story of Yaz Apparel. So I remember... When you were first starting out, I mean, it was pretty rudimentary even. Like, I don't even know if you were printing things. Like, I remember those sweatshirts that you had where yeah. you put, like, bandana patterns over the, the sleeves and the front pockets. I mean, I'd never seen that before. But you were yeah. doing all that stuff yourself, right? Yeah, I was in. I was pledging at the time. And whenever we were done at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, I would go back. If the C-store was open, I would get a pizza and, like, uh, what else I could find at night, take it back to my room. And my roommate was from India. So he would always be on a different sleep schedule. He would like 
stay up till his nine, ten o'clock a.m. classes, and I would like stay up with him until like three, four in the morning, and like just make hoodies and shirts and things in the room. And he didn't give a shit. He was always watching LeBron highlights and movies and everything, talking to his friends. He was so cool. Neil Mehra. Shout out Neil. Shout out Neil. He's out of New York, Wall Street, you know, finance, you know what I'm saying? Big. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I was just making him in the dorm in McNutt, La Ho- yeah. uh, De Hoya, or no, Delgado. Yeah, I I remember the the sweatshirts as well. And like, I just pulled up a a photo here, and I would like to share with you where you did the photo shoot in the, in the yard with the, with the snow. That was at the house. Yeah, I was at the house, and uh, that was a fun night. You the, look fresh. The, the the one thing about you is like you always like in fashion fashion it's really hard to make it, but like you have to always be come up with like new ideas and like new designs and like how do you do that like where do you find your inspiration honestly i just like i see what's out there and the most important thing to do is like shop not buy but go shopping you know it's like where are you gonna go today i'm gonna go to the mall in bloomington whatever mall in bloomington has so many things and i saw what was hot i would just make it you know, if they were printing on the sleeves in the back or the front, I would do exactly what other companies were doing. You know, it's not, it's, you don't have to be really creative. You just have to, like, you just have to know what's going to probably hit in, the, in, like, the next month. Or, like, like, for me, I predicted some things, like, color-wise and designs, and I was right over, like, a five-year period. And, like, I saw the evolution of, like, fashion. So I knew sometimes what to make because I had, like, an inside scoop studying it. You know, they would, like, tell me this is going to be hot this time. Or, you know, things would, like, trend. Or you can use, like, lyrics from or fonts from, like, remember the Pablo album? Mm -hmm. Like, you would just have to use... Honestly, it's about relevant, being relevant. So, like, if you use something or having something that's, like, nostalgic and easy for people to remember, you're just like, oh, okay. You know, so it's it's not designing. You just have to, like, think about the masses and think about, like, what does everyone think? Is it cool if I cook some pancakes while we're on this? Um, I don't know. Maybe that might fuck up the audio. I'm like, I'm, I'm a cook lady. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing these like protein pancakes. It's fire. You gotta get big, bro. You gotta stay big. But um, yeah, Yaz Apparel was was fun. Being creative, like making designs for that was like, I would just go on like a hunt for fabrics in like the fashion district in LA. And then I would, like, go online and I would find fabrics. And then I would go to, like, different stores and I would buy different, like, even if it was, like, a dress or, like, a or like a bandana, as you were saying. Like, anything I could find that was, like, in my opinion, just, like, cool 
or maybe match the color of a hoodie, I would just buy it and then I would try to do do something with whatever I got. So would you do all the stitching yourself too then? Some. Yeah. At one point, I had to go get someone else to do it. Doing those isn't an easy task. Sure, I was just gluing them and shit and iron them, iron on and stuff. All right, so so Sam Sam won't admit this, but I'm kind of the the ideas guy on this podcast. And what if what if we made a jacket, a retro windbreaker jacket with all our sponsors on it? So you could put like you know our heads, the, the Legends podcast, and then followed by like Uncle Buds and Celebrity Sweat. Oh damn! Y'all got some good sponsors. Like a like a NASCAR jacket, Ari. Yeah, NASCAR. The, any of those retro windbreakers. We could do something. I got find. I'm trying to find a manufacturer that can produce like the best quality. You know, just looking like Malaysia or Bangladesh I know. or China. I just, I just don't like making bullshit no more. I like making good quality. I don't even like making. High like quantities, I try to keep them minimal, just to where it makes it more exclusive and people might pay a little bit more for that too, because the quality is real high. So going back to your uh, starter jacket business right now, I mean that's a good example where they're not really making any more of these things. Like they're pretty exclusive right now, but also hot. Yeah. Like the vintage yeah. market's popping. I guess, like, are you sourcing just from individuals or do you have, like, ways of acquiring these things in mass and then being able to flip them? I have ways to get them, but I have, like, one reliable source, maybe two, uh, that I'm like, okay, you got some all right stuff. But other than that, I usually just individually buy it. I've been collecting, though, for, like, three years. And the, the funny thing is... uh. I didn't really know the reason why I started this, but I remember why, because I started selling these jackets and people would ask me like, how do you just collect all these? Like what happened? Like how did it start? And what I realized is I sold four Predators tickets at like 150 a piece. So I made like 600 one day and I was like, oh shoot, I need to go put this into fucking jackets. So I was like, oh, I'll just buy a bunch of jackets. So I bought a good amount that night. And then I showed my cousins and they were so excited. They're like, yo, this is so cool. And then I showed some of my friends and they, they were like, yo, like, where'd you get all these? Because every single time I would buy them in, uh, like in Indiana and then take them to the fraternity or sorority houses, my vintage stuff would go quicker than the Yaz apparel. You know, I would go into the house with three IU windbreakers or button-ups or just, like, anything IU gear. Yeah, every single time I would make my money by selling just one. So, like, selling selling vintage sometimes is, is really cool. But, like, back then it was so much easier. I'm telling you, like, five, six years ago, People didn't do what I'm doing now. You know, it's like, it's a lot of competition now. But then people didn't really care though. So they weren't really buying it for that expensive. But now I used to sell these jackets for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I could barely sell one for $100, you know? 
now the minimum price is like seventy dollars. I won't I won't go under that. You know, it's like these are so rare to find because I've sold like four or five hundred last year that kind of like made it like where like I took a lot of the good inventory like that's out there. So I don't know, buying stuff, it's like I, I want to hold on to some of it because some of these could be like three, four hundred dollars in like ten years. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'd um, rather just make the money now. Going back a little, um, you were working for your parents for a little uh, with Electronic Express, and I saw you in ads, and you were you were running around Predators games, you were running around Titans games in a suit. And it was like Electronic Express. We make it happen. You were putting up really funny videos, and I, I know some of the guys, uh, the younger guys, when they had their formal in Nashville, you went out with them, and they said that people in Nashville would like recognize you. They'd be like, "Oh, it's like the Electronic Express uh-huh. guys." So, That's funny. What, what was it like, kind of like being like a, you know, like a, a famous spokesperson? Ah, uh, no, I wouldn't say famous. It was just like. It's the beard, man. Hakeem, I recognize the beard, you know. Fear well, you do. You do look like Drake. Which oh, helps. Yeah. I heard about that. How does how does that help? Like when How's you that help? meet girls. Well, I used to do a lot of lookalike photos on Instagram. So that's when it started. When I was living in Israel, I started doing lookalike photos. I think I did one at Bonnaroo or something, and then just started. I started doing them. I just did the Drake and Josh from State Farm. That was a good one. Yeah. What would you do if you didn't look like Drake? Like, what if you looked like Steve Buscemi or, like, someone really not a Drake? I mean, I probably wouldn't do anything like that. But <laughs> I guess when when people tell me that, they're like, don't let it get to your head. I'm like, I already got it to my head a long time ago. But now I don't look anything like him. But I would say my younger self, we both had the baby face, you know, October's very own, you know, very same kind of at his age we kind of looked the same a long time ago now totally different nothing you like. well i remember this the, like the state farm one was good but the one that was really good was the starbucks one. Oh man Where you guys had the back-to-back yeah, photos yeah. of the starbucks uh, i you know how many takes that took in the car and how embarrassing it would look <laughs> i was like i probably got caught on influencers in the wild or some shit are you going to get the certified lover boy heart shaved into your head when the album drops? No, my hair, I just got a haircut yesterday. I ain't trying <laughs> to look like that. No way. So going back to kind of like the, the other ventures you've done. So you also have Josh Yazzie art, which is a separate kind of exercise than Josh Yaz apparel. Yeah. So I've seen some pretty cool stuff that you posted. I definitely vibe with the mirrors that you do and like some of the patterns that you get going on some of the wall art where did you kind of get the inspiration for that so when it was like the end of 2000 it was like you guys were graduating like around that time around that april may time frame i wasn't really doing much so i was just like i was painting a bunch and when I first went back home after college, I was just like, I got nothing going on for me. I just started working for my dad. I was like, 
I'm going to make some art. I was like, I'm an artist, you know. And uh, I just started making a bunch of trippy art designing. I have this Instagram called Imagine Tripping. It is so funny. And it's just a bunch of my art that's super trippy, but it's, like, super funny. So uh, I made that with my, like, art account together. And they were doing, like, better than any account I had ever built. You know, I've had so many accounts, and that one was, like, amazing. And uh, I think it was because Instagram was so, like, it wasn't small back then, but they were, like, they were, like, it was a better algorithm. Like, I was able to sell a lot more on certain platforms when I was, like, just starting out. And now it's like, oh my god, this is so hard. No one uses Facebook anymore. You know, it's like Facebook kind of died. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. It's still there, but well, yeah. I mean, it depends what circles you ride, and I just feel like a lot of like our friends and and people our age more gravitate more towards I've Instagram. Months. Um. So I was gonna ask you. Because I, I was just looking on your Instagram to try and find the Drake photo, but you were in Moscow for the World Cup. Yeah, there was a couple. How did you get into Russia? I've always wondered that process. Yeah, so uh, I went to Amsterdam, but I didn't get off the plane. I wish I did. I, did. I, I, was, I was walking on the ground at the airport, but that's it. I think, yeah, but I was there because there's a company called Hisense out of China they manufacture like TVs and different appliances and uh, I um, I went over there to film like a 30 second little gig for them get some footage for they're just like behind the scenes and then gave them my video and photos and they loved it and that's it. I just went there for literally one game, the semifinals, and then I went home. We're getting a little bit of like feedback on the. Uh, I think you're touching the microphone. Uh, but I was there for literally like 48 hours. That's it. Cool trip though. I was thinking about Russia like last night. Fucking cool place. I want to go back so bad. I drank a vodka there that like burned my throat. Well, most vodkas burn your throat a little. But it was, like, infused with, like, cherries or, like, berries. Oh, it was so good. Sip on it straight. So good. This vodka was so good. My dad just does Grey Goose on the rocks with an orange slice exclusively. Orange? Orange slice, yeah. I like orange. I would say lime and an Ooh, I know my order now. So... One thing I was thinking about was when we were in college, you bought some ducks and you kept them in your room, grew very quick, and oh then they were God. following you around. So, like, why did you buy the ducks and where are the ducks now? Uh, first off, the ducks, Bernie and Penelope, are at, uh, they're at a farm somewhere in Indiana. Uh, somewhere. Probably outside Indianapolis. I was dating a girl in college who wanted it. She wanted to get another dog. And I was like, no. She wanted to get something else. I was like, no. 
And then she said ducks, and I was like, how hard could a duck be? Oh, my God. Those little things were so cute, but just they just went to the restroom wherever they want, you know? But they did did they, they went, follow you around? Yeah. One time, we walked into the CVS down the street from, uh, what's that called? The Lost. From the Lost. We walked all the way down that hill, and they couldn't make it all the way up the hill, but they were closed. <laughs> they didn't fly? Nah, they were so cute. We made a painting one time with their little, little, little feet. What do you? All right, I got a question. What do you do with all the art that you have? Like, do you have like a warehouse, or like, where do you keep everything? Oh my god, you want to see? Yeah, let's let's pull the curtain back. They're all over the house, but my other art pieces, I usually sell. I usually, I can't hold on to everything. I wish I could, but I sell a lot. I have a whole wall full of this art right now. Another thing you you got into uh, was the was the like children's books, the Dr. Seuss, and making like collages out of that. And yeah. I saw you were selling that at your uncle's gallery. What kind of prompted you to do that? Uh, one day I just got I just had like an epiphany. I was like, yeah, like I love these books. They have a great color scheme, color wave. And I was like, what if I put them on like? I started out with like one foot by one foot like canvases and then I started changing up the dimensions and then after I started doing that I started doing like the surfboards and then uh, now I'm just like trying to I don't know I just I, I like collaging but I used to paint but the Dr. Seuss books when you look at them they all have patterns if if you get four books it creates i'll show you it creates like a pattern because there's like four different books and what i try to do is i try to make um i try to make different kind of i don't know how to say like visual thing i try to make your it like pattern driven but also just like i don't know color driven too i'm very like attracted to like complementary colors and that's what dr seuss has in like all of his books are just like colors that work so well together and like all the paintings i have in my house are all very like pop art 90s and that's why like all the jackets i sell kind of go with the art that i make so i think everything together has its own flow but they're all different categories but they were all pretty much around the 80s 90s and i'm a 2000 you know 90s kid so y'all so like selling it to the people that are our age and a little bit older you know it's a little easier you know people like it they're like it, it's not as hard of a sale it's just like you want it or you don't you know that's mm -hmm. the way i i sell art it's like when it's a jacket i'm like bro you're gonna get cold <laughs> nah. But when it's art, it's very different. It's like, where are you going to put this? You know, how are you going to hang it? You know, it's like, there's so many different barriers that, you know, it's just too big. It's just small that I have to go measure. So it's like, art's harder to sell and it's a slower business. That's why, like, having something like clothes is good because you got a lot of, like, cash flow. 
And then when you got the art, you got a lot of money sitting. But when you sell one art piece, that's worth like five, six, seven, eight, ten jackets. So like art's pretty affordable, you know, and selling it, you can make a lot of money. But when it comes to selling the art, it's like you got to find the right buyer. But if you don't have something, you can't sell it. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in retail. It's like, if you don't have a product, if I don't have a Lakers jacket or a Padres jacket or a Chargers jacket, what am I doing in San Diego? You know, I got to buy the right things for the market that you're in. So always knowing, you know, doing your market research and shit like that, it's important. Do you sell your art online ever or is it all physical in store? I do this stuff in store, but... I was trying online for like two months and then I was like, it's not even worth it. So I took it offline. And what I kind of want to do is like more of like a virtual tour, just like walk through space and sell something to someone like that. Cause like I could take someone on a tour of the, of a store and be like, what's your favorite color? Do you like this style? This and that. And then I'll be like, so I'm, I'm that kind of salesman. You know, when it comes to art, it's a little different. It's more of like, the buyer kind of looks at it and wants it, but doesn't know if they want to spend the money on it. Because art's not cheap. Yeah, I can hook it up. I can throw a jacket in there with it. <laughs> That's how I do it sometimes. Yeah. And, and everyone, the thing we're saying is like everyone kind of like values art differently. Like someone might walk in and like the Dr. Seuss painting just like might not hit home to them and like. There's like you could be like I'll sell it to you for ten dollars and they're just gonna be like I'm not gonna buy it because I don't want it. But someone might walk in and be like, to them they would value it at thousands of dollars, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you gotta know how to stand your ground. Cause even with the jackets, it's like this woman asked me for like eighty dollars for a product. Even if I sell it for a hundred, like four or five days later. I told you a hundred dollars. I didn't tell you eighty. You know, it's like when you're able to put your foot down and realize, you know, like you can get better for what you have. You're doing good, you know. And, and someone told me it's like those small accomplishments will make you even a better salesman. So for me, it's like it's not about like. I look at the long term, but I make short term goals every day. And that's what I try to do. I write down like try to write down five things or the next day I'd write down 10 to 15. You know, I try to make something every single day to challenge myself to like get better and try to build something. But I'm in no rush. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) I ain't going nowhere. All right. So speaking of goals, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So obviously you've kind of come a long way as an artist. Started out like I don't even know how to describe it. I guess just stitching in your dorm room and using an iron to iron stuff on. And now you're selling art out of a legitimate art shop, and you're you've got a business going with a clear goal in mind. What's what's next for you? Like what do you what do you see in the future for yourself? Um, I mean. One thing for me, it's like I've always wanted a store. 
I'm looking at a few spaces right now. I'm just trying to see, like, is it worth having that lease, electricity bill, like, insurance, this and that? Or is it worth just, like, going and doing a pop-up every few months and kind of doing my own thing on the side and not having the stress of having someone else watch my inventory, this and that? It's like, for me, it's like, if I have an online store, I can, like, ship things out a day or two late, you know, versus, like, you're in store, like, that's all you're doing, you know, like, but you can make money in the store, you know, there's, like, certain sacrifices, like, you know, are you willing to give up all family time, you know, weekend, friend time, every weekend, you're busy, that's retail, you know, it's, like, do I want to give up all the things that I could be doing? For money, yeah. But do you want to to sacrifice your like? Sometimes you sacrifice like friendships, relationships, like you know, like you gotta. I think for me, most importantly, if I'm single, I I thrive in my business because I'm focused. I'm that's all I'm doing. Most of the time when I'm with someone, they just take take up all my time and my thoughts of like, you know, it's like I should be focused on one thing and that's my business right now. You know, it's like I can't be doing all these other things. I got to be doing me. You know, it's like you got to choose one or the other sometimes when you're first starting out. But if that person can help you, fuck yeah. Stay with them. <laughs> you got to get a partner. Like yeah, a business gotta, and love partner. Yeah, love partner, man. So that's a, well, that's another question. I know you had a you had a partner in college, um, and you've done partnerships. Like, what have you learned through like? Or I guess this question is kind of geared towards like anyone who's like looking to like start a business. Like, what's important to like look for like in a business partner? A business partner is like kind of just like you got each other's backs and you don't you work as hard as each other and you push each other to do better you know it's like i've had good ones i've had bad ones you know you know it's like right now i'm working by myself and i'm looking for a potential partner to go do things that are bigger than me you know because like i want to have more time to do other things but i also want to balance my ideas off someone else and have it not all just be me because I can't do everything. I don't know everything. And once I'm able to like do the the right things, I think, and partner with the right people, then I know things can get done a lot quicker, better, and like make more money. So right now I'm just like trying to prove a concept. You know, and then, like I think that when someone realizes like, oh, there's potential in that. That's when I have to be like, all right, it's time to let go of the baby that you grew, you know, you, you, you know, you built. But like for me, it's like, I want to, I want to spread the love. I want to spread the wealth. Like, I don't care. You know, all I want is for people to get the clothes that they love, you know, and like, I eat my food, you know, and I have a place to sleep. <laughs> I don't need much, you know, but also there's always balance, you know, you got to have that shit, because last two weeks when I did the pop-up shop, I just, like, only had time for that, and 
you know, sometimes your lifestyle gets pretty hectic, whether it's diet, sleep, or anything. You just always got to be alert, you know. Sometimes you forget things, but you always got to remember, you got your brothers. (laughs) (laughs) So, I guess with all the stress that comes with being a small business owner in this situation, would you ever consider trying to take your talents and go work for a larger company where you would be able to kind of have that work-life balance, but still kind of get your ideas out? Yeah. It's just like, for me, it's like building something that's mine or like something that's for like other people. It just depends. You know, it could be a really cool company that I really stand behind. But I just like, I've worked with other people, other companies and like the way they work, it's great, but I work a little different for some reason. And the way I like to work, it's like, it's periodically, but it's super like intense when it's periodically. And I, I like to take breaks because if I don't take breaks, I'm fucked. I get tired. You know, I get, there's no motivation, but for an artist, there's always that like one week or one day or you know one month where you just absolutely go insane. So for me, it's like I can jump around, and do ten different things. I shouldn't, but that's just the way I am, and I, I don't like changing up who I am for other people. So, uh, but it's tough when you're doing a business. You gotta stay consistent. Yeah. So, but my shit's seasonal, so it's like got a few more months of pushing it hard till I just like chill re-up you know stuff like that I feel that I mean that makes sense just because I mean if you're working for a company then they're going to expect you to produce consistently every day but if you're somebody who kind of like ebbs and flows a little bit with like ideation and yeah creativity then it's tough to kind of meet that expectation every day like you're going to blow it away some days but other days it's going to be tough whereas if you're doing it at your own pace then you can like lean into it when you're really feeling it. And then you can kind of focus on other stuff when you're not. Exactly. Also, also like, especially for someone that's an artist like yourself, you know, maybe, maybe I like to view myself as a, as a artist as well. But anyways, um, the ideas, the ideas come at certain hours and like, there are times where you're feeling like more motivated than others. And if you were working for a company, you know, you'd have to, you know, they might want you nine to five, but like in reality, like some days you probably get up at 7 a.m. and, and yeah. you, you work from like seven to noon and then you're like, all right, I'm gonna like hit the beach for the rest of the day. Yeah, for me, oh. I'm a late night guy. Like I'll be up to like three, four in the morning doing stuff. And that's why I get a lot of stuff done is when, like, the whole world is quiet. So when you were pushing Yaz in college, you got a lot of people wearing your, your clothing. Who was the person? Could it be maybe a celebrity, maybe just a random person that you were the most excited to see wearing your, your T-shirts? I mean, there were some people, like, celebrities, like, that would wear it or came by and, like, and shit. Like, little Dickie that one time? When Alex Nauman brought him over or some shit. Oh, I remember. Yeah. He was, um, he held it up. I didn't really care. I was like, who is this little dicky guy? And then, didn't, um, didn't Jackson Hayes wear one too? Yeah, Jackson Hayes and, um, 
Who else? Do you, do you mind not eating? Troy Williams with Matt Lowey. What a combo we have there. <laughs> um, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. Oh, yeah, Mark Cuban did wear one. He didn't wear one. He just like, I think we were both as like, Dong and I were with him. I like, yeah, big red. Right behind sports. <laughs> and then, um, I uh, see friends wearing it all over the world. It was cool. Especially when they were stunning abroad in like Australia or something. Yeah. Jump. Well, you used to you used to put people on the, the Insta, which I know a lot of people enjoyed. Oh, yeah. I love that. All right. I got one for you. So we had a, we had a friend in college who got in some trouble, and, and the fraternity put him on social probation. They couldn't party. And you made shirts with his face on it. Ardo. Yeah, Ardo. And and we said the free Ardo shirts. And uh, I remember, I think it was Jake Teichman was in Bloomington over the summer. He was at Goodwill, and he saw them on the Goodwill rack. So have, any, have you seen, like, any of your clothing, like, end up in, like, just, like, very random places that you, like, oh, didn't yeah. expect? I mean, I've seen it in different stores around the country. Like, in a Goodwill or Playdust Closet. Um Oh, Ben Higgins. He was oh, like yeah. a bachelor. He wore one. He didn't even know. I dumped it off at a Goodwill. I dumped like four or five hundred of these shirts at Goodwill. Because I was like, I couldn't do anything with them. They were all ruined. Um, And he wore one. It was so funny. How did it end up in his, you have no idea? It went to this. It was distributed to another Goodwill. Yeah, I know, but like, I mean, Ben I Higgins like was on The Bachelor. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Maybe he shops at Goodwill, but like, so you don't know how it ended up on him. He just like had it on. I saw a picture online. I was like, <laughs> I made that. <laughs> That's pretty. Then how did it get on? How I have some crazy Jack- stories. Like when people met at the Dead Sea because they saw uh, a tag on the side of a hat. That said ZZ on it. <laughs> it was like one of my friends from Nashville and like Lowey, Smetty, and Wixer at the Dead Sea like gift shop. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. So some, that's some real Jewish geography right there. Yeah, like, and like I was in Australia. It was like all over the map. Wild. I'm just eating these like. I know. Maybe I was gonna say, watch, watch the bag because you could hear it crumpling. Oh, I get the bag and fumble it. <laughs> how did uh, how did Jackson Hayes get your shirt? Do you know that, or did someone give yeah. it to him? Um, one of my best friends from LA. He went to school with Jackson and used to smoke with like all the basketball players. <laughs> Are you are you narking on Jackson Hayes right now? No, 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 not Jackson. The whole team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the doesn't the NBA not test for pot anymore? Yeah, they though? don't test for, for yeah, J.R. Smith anymore. <laughs> so yes, um, 
I guess with all of the different businesses that you've run over the years, like what have been the biggest lessons that you've taken away from all of them? And I guess like if you were to start Yaz Apparel over again in college, like would you do anything differently or is that all kind of like I would not have done anything different. That's probably why I'm where I'm at today. You know, it's like you're going to get thrown a lot of things that you don't expect and you got to like, for me, I'd say this. You're going to get played, and you're going to play other people. But you got to know, at a certain point, you can't get played anymore. You know, like, I've had these people come into my life and say they're going to do something for me, and they don't show up, or they don't do something. That they said, I'm a man of my word, and whenever someone else shows me that, I... I take it kind of an offense when they don't do something. And if it's money involved and product and things like that, I just, you know, I've dealt with it so many times I'm kind of numb to it, but I also never work with you again. So when you screw me over once, there's no more going back. You know, you can't in business for me, it's if you burn a bridge, you ain't going to build another one. Like you can go other ways. There's so many options. Like, just always be looking out because someone's always after your money. Don't try to burn bridges, but if you do, burn the fuck out of them and don't look back. Don't look don't look back, <laughs> you know, like Shrek and Fiona did. <laughs> I was watching Shrek the other night, so Oh. So there's a really famous story from college. And you and me like to quote this a lot, but uh, a man <laughs> by the name of uh, Jacob Pearl. I love. Oh, no, no, Jacob. He he brought a. I guess you, well, you guys were in uh, Indy for a formal, and he like somehow like brought this homeless man or someone who like didn't like belong there back to the hotel. And the hotel yeah. saw him working through the lot, walking through the lobby, and they like right away were like, "This guy doesn't belong here." So they they called up to the room, and you were up at the room, and they're like, uh, "We're here with Jacob and Juan," and you were like, "Uh, I know I Jacob. Know. I don't know no Juan." <laughs> Dude, it was wild. I was like, I woke up and I was like. What is this man doing here? You know, we all had our like wallets and phones and everything just laid out in that room. Guy was just passed out doing his own thing. Like, I guess Pearl trusted him somehow. And we were just like, Pearl, like, you can't just invite a random ass person into our hotel room to sleep. But he probably had a great night of sleep. Did he sleep on the ground? Right, so yeah, it was crazy, bro. I was like, "What is going on?" Well, wait. So didn't uh, the didn't the hotel call your room and you were like, "I think so." Yeah, I was the only time I probably spoke up in fucking chapter is when <laughs> I told that story. <laughs> I, I was I was blown away by his generosity. But yeah, that was a that was a crazy little night trip. You just have a little formal, and uh, that shit happens. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of transient 
folks, you did donate a lot of clothes to homeless people because that was another yeah. part of your business at a point. Yeah, I, I was doing that for a while. Every product sold, I would donate some clothes uh, for every single one. I would like take count. It was crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was cool. I'm trying to bring in a different little thing over here just because there's a lot of homeless out here in San Diego. Um, but what I want to really tap into is like the youth and um, and like school supplies. So I was thinking like doing more of like the Crayola route, more colorful with like sketchbooks. So like I've always, as a kid, I don't know why, but I always had this thing where I was like, I, I knew as a kid I was privileged because I had some things other kids didn't have. And I went to a private school. So like, for that to even be like happen, I was like, damn, I have a lot of things that other people just don't have. And like, I saw kids growing up in different places. I, I came from different backgrounds, you know, like, you know, I'm Persian, but I also like, I vibe with like, in the South, like I vibe with a lot of the white folk. And then I also vibe with like African Americans too. Like I, I have a lot of balance, you know, being Persian, you know, I could see both sides. And uh, I really want to get back to, like, the youth in, like, underprivileged areas. I think that's, that's awesome. That's something. I always wanted to do, like, a like an after-school, like, art center or kind of sports center. Because I was like, Mom, like, leave me late after school. Why don't you just send me to this little daycare where I could just go play sports after school? You know, things like that. Nice. Yeah, it'd be cool to like run a art camp too, or something like that. Cause like there's a lot of like after school activities that kids don't have access to. That yeah, exactly. It sounds awesome. So Josh, you got a lot of accounts that I think people can check out if they're interested. Uh, do you want to plug a couple of those? I know I've been kind of poking through them throughout the interview. They're awesome. Yeah, of just my social media. Yeah, where, where yeah. can you, we find your stuff for sale? Also, just everything. Yeah, um, so retrowindbreakers.com. Uh, you can find that on Instagram. You can find that, I think so, on Twitter. Yeah, you can find it on Twitter. Find it on TikTok. Uh, you can find Persian Drizzy on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Back when I was doing it in 2013, I was tiptoeing in my Jordans back then, you know. Um, but yeah, I have that Yaz Apparel still out there. You can take a peek. But yeah, it was fun talking to the boys. Don't you also don't you have Josh Yaz Art? Yeah, Josh Yaz Art. Yeah, that too. And imagine you can also email me at joshyazart at gmail dot com. What's your phone number? Uh, my phone you number have to get that is nine one one. All right. Maybe we'll uh, we'll reconnect about creating some sort of apparel for possibly the Legends podcast. Maybe a maybe a retro jacket with our faces on it, Ooh, and like an Uncle hot. Bud's. That'd be hot. That'd be a hot one. The streets would love it. The yeah. Streets. All right. Well, Josh, I really it's appreciate awesome. you coming on. Uh, friend of the program. Such an interesting guy. Such a hard worker. Um, 
definitely wish you all the best out there in California. And we'll uh, love to have you back sometime. Uh, yeah, bro. Thanks, Josh. Take it easy, bro. Peace. Peace.